Welcome to Entrepreneur Mindset Reset, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to learn from fellow business owners how to decrease the chaos and increase their sense of fulfillment while becoming more profitable. I'm your host, Tracy Trepesky. I'm an executive coach and consultant and mindset mastery expert. I'm also mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. In each episode, we explore challenges, opportunities, and actionable tips to help you move your business forward while staying true to your vision. You'll hear from me and my guests how we've tackled some of the pitfalls and unexpected surprises that entrepreneurship delivers. We're the real deal, and we're here to inspire and encourage you. Let's dive in. This is episode 11 of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset, the podcast where entrepreneurs just like you and me share how they master their mindset to overcome obstacles to their success. In today's episode, I'm speaking with the brilliant and talented Laura Bryant of You Aspire Digital Marketing. She shares her best tips on how to move the needle in your business with your mindset. She reminds us that as entrepreneurs, we need to learn to set expectations, become comfortable with failure, and continue taking leaps of faith. You won't want to miss at the end of our interview when she talks about the initiative she started to support women to earn extra money to support their families, but maybe lacking resources or entrepreneurial know-how to do it. I'm not going to lie, I teared up a little at the thought of how many people's lives her course will impact by helping women create financial resources to support their families. Even an extra $200 a month can completely transform the experience of an entire family. It's truly remarkable. So grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Laura and her amazing journey. Laura, thank you for being here today. I'm like, you know, recovering from what we were talking about before when we laughed. We've already laughed and cried, everybody. So this is how we're entering here. I'm really excited for you to be here. So thank you for coming. Thanks. I'm excited too. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, we've known each other a long time. We met when our kids were in tap dancing at like four or five, Yeah, something. And then like we changed dance schools for something a little closer to us. And then we ran into each other, what, a year or two after that, mm-hmm. something like that at a luncheon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we just vowed never to lose contact after that. So I'm so glad. I, I think we just picked up and whatever we do. Yeah, I know. And it's, and so I, I feel really honored to call you a friend. I feel really honored to call you a colleague when I have clients who need marketing. So we'll talk about what you do in a minute. But when I need, when I have clients who need marketing, it's always you. It's always you who I think of um, because of who you are. And, you know, you're brilliant at what you do. It's just really about who you are. And so I'm just like super thrilled that you're here. Well, and likewise, I always send the masses to you for all <laughs> kinds of wisdom and guidance. So it's been very fun working with you. Yeah, it's a really a lovely exchange. So where are you in the world physically right now? I am in a, this is a big deal right now. It is <laughs> a snowy Tennessee. So it doesn't usually A, snow this time of year and B, it's Tennessee. So we don't get snow. So <laughs> yeah, like I look out my window and it's, I, it's like happy thoughts. I did attempt to drive today and I was making fun of the fact that our kids are out of school. And yeah, you shouldn't do that. So I laughed and went flying into head-on traffic and turned around and landed in someone's driveway safely, unscathed. But it was like, oh, 
respect that they're out of school today and live it right back through my own house. And that's there we exactly go. what it's uh, right outside of Nashville and and basically right outside of Franklin. We're in the suburbs. Awesome. Yeah, it's really lovely there. Well, I'm excited to share your journey with our listeners. And so I think it's probably good to start where you're at now and then maybe explain kind of how, not explain, but tell us how you got to here because you've you've led an interesting career path. And we can see now from where you are, how all those dots connect. I think if we started at the beginning, it would... <laughs> Like what? How did she end up there? Right? (laughs) Yeah. So I own a digital marketing agency and everybody always says, well, what does that mean? You do Facebook and all that kind of fun stuff. And the answer is, yeah, we can do a lot of intuitive marketing on social media, but we actually, those ads, when you are, you're thinking my phone hears me talking, how did my phone know that I wouldn't do that? How did they know I was thinking about there for vacation? Well, the truth is there's a very intuitive process that goes on behind the scenes with algorithms and all kinds of fun stuff. So that's what my agency does is we pair up businesses who are looking to get in front of the exact consumer that would utilize their business or service through ads on the internet. So the role I play in, I actually have a tech team that does all that and it's really over my head. I know that I know all of the capabilities and strategies that exist. I walk clients through the ones that best fit their needs in the way that they can get their potential consumer in. And then I send it over to my tech guys and they get everything going. But my specialty really is on the creative and psychological side because I think that I have a lot of experience in sales. And you know, the goal is that people say yes to a product or service. And it's not just about placing them on the internet or placing a digital ad. It's about placing it in the exact place that they are, but with a message in a brand that pulls them into the business. So that's the part of what I do every day that I think is the most fun and where I've been the most successful is that strategic psychological part of it. So that's where I'm at now. Where I started had nothing to do with that in some ways. So I, prior to this, actually worked in specialty pharmaceutical sales and it's a good career. I mean, it's a lucrative career. You know, when you first enter sales from college, they always tell you like, that's the, the mecca of sales jobs. And I am appreciative for that opportunity. But at the time I was a single mother with a four-year-old and, you know, I think the last call that I had, I would have to go to Texas to do training, you know, when we would get FDA, like new drugs. And the last call that I did, I did that. My dad was at my house. He had just retired watching my four-year-old daughter. And he called me and asked me how to do a ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) I know my daughter's hair is just naturally curly hair. And I'm just envisioning her at Montessori, like, like, (laughs) like lion's mane. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a good situation. And he's sweet, sweet, sweet. But I had to call my neighbor to come do her ponytail. And um, so long story short, it was just very difficult. But I did, I had come prior to that. I had actually been at Comcast and in radio doing sales and marketing and advertising, which I loved because it's not like car sales. And I think anytime you say sales, people think, oh, it's terrible. I really loved it. Pairing up businesses with consumers, I that was that I loved it. And I actually really missed it when I went to specialty pharma. And so long story short, I asked most of my doctors, hey, if I were to start my own business and I know that you need a ton of help marketing your practice. 
would you hire me as a consultant? And I had enough of them that said yes. So I dove in head first, but I will say that that first year, I was literally living on a third of my income that I had had from specialty pharma sales. But I also, and I got offered a lot of jobs during that time too. But my first question on those job interviews would be, what time do I need to be in your office? And what time do I leave? Like my daughter, you know, at the time was, you know, by the time I left Specialty Pharma was five and a half, six and played soccer and practice was at five. And I can't be in an office until five o'clock. I can sell millions of dollars worth of stuff before five o'clock and adequately leave and have done my job at four. But most companies said no. So anyway, I just had to had to make it happen. And so I did. And I'm thankful that I was forced into that and that I didn't get to just fall back into working for someone else. And yeah, that's now I'm here. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't think you would have been satisfied, right? Because yeah. as you were get you were receiving another calling mm-hmm. that, you know, that the experience that you had and the things that you loved and yes, you loved sales, but at what, it wasn't the product that you loved. It was the interaction with people and finding out what they're looking for and supporting them that way, at least from what I gather from you. Yeah, and you can absolutely. do that doing anything. I mean, you could sell ice to polar bears. <laughs> so it's better, better, more efficient. Yes. You know, what, what do you really want in life? Oh, I want clean ice. Okay, here you go. I have some for you, you know? So yeah, yeah because I've, you know, I've seen you're, you're brilliant in how you connect with people and how you discern and you help them get to what they really want. I think that's part of your gift. And, you know, some of it, I'm sure you learned through the psychology of sales and all the things you mm-hmm. needed to learn in the sales world, but it's, it's really cool that you, you were willing to take that leap of faith. Because yeah, you know, all practical. <laughs> What's that? It was nerve wracking. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember um, <laughs> for myself and and you know everybody who I know who's taken that leap. It's like oof, that first year or two is it's intense. That first year, I remember filing my tax return in probably the most humbling moment yeah. um, as an adult. You know where you've done really well. You've earned that coveted six figures, and you've you've done really well. You know now it's seven figures, I guess is the coveted, whatever, depending on the person. But at the time, you know, um, I had done well, I had done really well for a really long time. And I remember filing my first tax return the year I signed my divorce papers, moved to Nashville with my daughter. So not only I had to leave Northern Virginia because it just wasn't sustainable financially or um, logistically, because I couldn't go to appointments and be stuck in the car for three and a half hours and not be able to get to my daughter. And my neighbor was constantly having to pick her up and she was amazing, but I couldn't keep asking that, right? So I moved here, filed my tax return and called my mom when I got my my taxes back from my, well, I went to my tax guy and I was like, that's how we made. And I, I really felt so heavy. And so I felt like a failure. I remember being like, I, I can't, I, I, I don't know that I've been in this tax bracket since I was 22 years old for my first year out of college, you know, and here I am providing for a child in one of the wealthiest counties in the country. Cause I'm still, you know, Williamson County, Tennessee is it's not DC cost of living, but you know, 
the, it just was heavy. Um, but I just, I had to keep that course because if I didn't, I had no way of allowing my daughter any opportunity. So financial opportunity is not always opportunity, you know, her connecting with other children and doing what she loves. I had to provide a way to be able to do that. And at the time, you know, this was just 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago. I mean, she's 14, almost 15. She was seven at the time when we finally moved here. Corporate America did not recognize the need for a woman. I mean, this is just, you know, eight years ago Mm -hmm. for a woman to be able to be a good single mother and provide opportunity for her child to get to, you know. And and to trust, to trust that if you've already been a high achiever and a high producer, that you could do it. Like, were you really working until five or six o'clock at night when you were making all that money before? No, you're probably done. And if you were required to be in an office, you were there because you were supposed to be there, not because you were, you needed that much time. Yeah. And you learn very quickly in some environments, I don't think this is the case all the time, but I will say I had people in positions above me question why I had a car seat in my car from where I was. One time I had two in my car because I would shuttle, actually the dance class you and I met at, I would shuttle, if you remember, like two or three kids, we all, depending on, we, all the moms worked, so we all broke up our schedule and I would literally go to mom's story and pick up an entire load of four-year-olds. <laughs> so, Take them straight to dance. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, we would live through the little McDonald's. Like we had a whole group going on. <laughs> so cute. And, and they would do that with my kids. So I had multiple booster seats in my car. And I remember riding with a manager and I was up for a promotion in pharma. And he said, oh, you have your interview ride along for your promotion next week. And I said, yeah. And he goes... So what's, he goes, how many kids do you have? I said, just the one. He goes, well, I thought you just had the one daughter. Why do you have multiple car seats in your car? And I said, is that a problem <laughs> for you? Like, is that a problem? And he's like, I mean, it's not a problem. I'm just, you know, you're giving the impression that you have a lot of kids. So what? I'm in the top 10% of this company in you sales. Could, you could have 15 kids and still be a right. top producer. So there's a max on how many children I can have. Interesting. And also be able to do this job well. So that's kind of what I learned. I don't think every company is not like that. Every person's mentality is not like that. But that's part of why I stayed the course, even though there were moments where it was just really scary to do yeah. so. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, you have this massive responsibility of providing for a child and providing for her in the best possible way. I mean, every parent wants to provide opportunities at whatever level that means for them. And so in order to do that, it's not just money that's required. It's time. It's commitment. You know, one of the things that I advise clients, especially if they're just getting started or if their business is now growing and they're trying to catch up or keep up with it or whatever, is let's just pause, like pump the brakes for a second and let's talk about the life that you really want to live. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Absolutely. It's not fit your life into your, around your business. It's build the business that supports the life you want to live. And Mm -hmm. that is not to say for our new entrepreneurs that are listening that you're not going to put in some long hours and slog and whatever. But what it means is that you keep that end goal in sight because ultimately your business will eat you alive if you don't set some parameters. Oh, for sure. And And you take it so personally, you know? I mean, you know this too. I mean, you take every 
every win is like the hugest thing, which is awesome. But then every, you know, even small, like a, a initially when people would get upset with me or didn't like something that I did or whatever. And, and that I'm, a, I work really hard to please clients. So I didn't have a ton of that, but anytime I had a loss or a shift, like things changed, a client went a different way because maybe they hired a different office manager or practice manager, whatever the case may be, my stress levels would just go through the roof. And I really had to start learning what success and failure was and that I was not going to go down with that shit, even if I had a, a failure. Now, sometimes that failure was the, you know, my mortgage payment <laughs> or my rent. <laughs> like to lose that client was yeah. like, oh my gosh, that's part of what I had allocated for whatever. But I am pretty spiritual and I do believe that God took care of me during that time. You know, I entered that phase of my life with, Fortunately, some savings enough that I put my own my daughter through private school, and I paid for that. Her her dad is good about helping with her expenses. Don't get me wrong, but I paid for private school on my own that first year. That first year that I had that gnarly tax return, I had still managed. <laughs> like, oh, I also paid for private school. <laughs> you know what's so insulting is that she was one of the only kids from a single parent home. She was in second grade, and. A lot of the parents assumed uh, she was a scholarship kid. Now, I drove a nice car. I live in one of the wealthiest counties in the country. I, you know my affinity for bags and shoes. But it was literally based on the fact that she was a kid from a single parent home. Mm. Not, you know, her dad's an airline pilot and a decorated military officer. I've done pretty darn well for myself. But... Yeah, it's weird. The whole that whole time, you know. So I had to separate other people's views of my success from what I wanted to build yeah. during that time. And that was probably the hardest, most it was very difficult to stay in my own corner, I guess, if you will. Mm. Like, believe in myself and believe that somebody else would think that what I was doing was good enough that I could get over that hump and get back to what I was making and then some. Mm -hmm. Did you just decide like, I can't be bothered with what people think of me anymore because I'm doing my thing and just- Yes. Focus. <laughs> this is a really, yeah. really, really hugely important piece of the entrepreneurial puzzle, my fellow listener friends. Mm -hmm. And I will go ahead and self-disclose and say that I am a continual work in progress and not worrying and being sidetracked by what people think or even like thrown off course by what other people think. It's, you know, we're conditioned to, to care. There's a difference between caring and letting it be your story and, and be the driver in the car. You need to be the driver of your own car, or the captain of your ship or whatever, you know, metaphor you want to use. But we're the ones who get to make the decisions about what's important to us and the thing about entrepreneurs is we are a different breed. We will be very misunderstood by people who are like the linear, I'd rather be employed and have that safety. There is nothing, there is no shame in that. Everybody needs to do what works for them so that they can go out and do their best in the world. That's just, that's just my view. I feel like that's a pretty liberating view for all people. So to just decide, like that must have flipped your energy so much. Because I remember that there was a point in time where you'd been like, chip, 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 chip away and all of a sudden it was like boom everything started to come together was it around the time that you stopped you know giving a rip what people thought of you yeah and you know I also think it was around the time that I stopped here's the real turning point this is going to be this is going to sound so crazy but 
one of my clients through long story, I one of my clients had um, that I've been doing their marketing for a really long time, a large company based out of New York. And through them, I got a last minute invite to the ESPN Super Bowl party and I flown up to New York during this was when the Super Bowl was in New York. And, you know, at that point, I was doing better than the year before. So I was catching up, but I still wasn't where I was in pharmaceutical sales. And so that was close, but I just, I was kind of stalled. So I remember, so I go to the Super Bowl party with my business contact up there. She and I had a great time. And then the next morning, I had like six hours before I had to go to the airport and get back on plane and come back here. And so... I went, my friend Daniel lives in New York and he's like, you've got your hotels near this dump of a place that has the most amazing crepes in town. You have to go there since you have nothing else going on. I'm like, okay, great. So I get up, I had a little bit to drink the night before and I go to this crepe place and I was sitting there and it was like, I mean, it was a dump like for sure. And I'm sitting there and next to me, these two men doing business, like they're just in jeans and you know, button downs and they're not in anything fancy. They were literally doing like five and $600 real estate deals over crepes in South America. Like they were, I mean, like legit doing that kind of deals. And I'm like, I start thinking, I'm like, gosh, that's really a lot of money. And then I'm like, they don't really seem like that's a whole lot of money. Right. And so all of a sudden I realized that it wasn't that I didn't have influential clients and it wasn't that I didn't have enough clients. It's that I didn't value myself. I felt so grateful in the beginning of my business that I didn't value myself worth what I was worth. And here I was, and not to chew my own horn, you, you know how I approach marketing. I love helping businesses grow. Like that is my thing. I, I enjoy it. It's like a sport to me. Like we start here and we end up here and how do we do it? I had watched these businesses literally, I mean, for us to, for me to get an invite to this party because I had helped this business get to a certain place, that in and of itself was value. And I really was not charging that client what I should have been charging that client. This was a client that's, you know, $30 million a year business. Mm -hmm. And I am, you know, pretty lean on what I'm charging them and it's a steal, you know? Mm -hmm. So at that point, I just went back to every client that I had and I said, here's my rate. And anytime I did an, an RFP, it was three times higher than I had had it before. And I just put myself out there in that way. And then when I started adding on digital capabilities and I decided I was no longer going to send them to somebody else for them to sell, I was going to get my own crew and do that my own way and do that myself. I mean, it the floodgates opened up. But I think that first two or three years that you're in business by yourself, you feel, and I don't think it's, I think unrightly so, you feel like you're, like anybody who gives you a chance that you need to give them a financial break for doing so. And so you undercharge and over-deliver. And it's really hard to get out of that hole because you're doing all the work that should be earning you $200,000 a year but you're at a fraction of that because you were afraid to ask for it. So I just listening to a $500 million real estate deal. I'm like, yeah, I'm worth a lot more than I, I can't believe that my mind limited my time here and it should have been here. And I will tell you this, not one client that I have has ever boxed at my rates. And 
I think they would if I didn't bring results, but I'm not the most expensive marketer out there. In fact, I'm pretty, I'm still pretty moderate mm-hmm. comparatively, but I charge what I'm worth. Yeah. And because I charge what I'm worth, I've ended up with huge clients over the last, you know, couple of years, medical associations and academies, the United States Chamber of Commerce Foundation. I just signed a new pharmaceutical company out of the UK, um, a medical device company out of the UK that we're doing marketing for starting this month. So if I didn't believe those things about myself, they never would have either. Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make. And it's not always what we're worth. It's how we value ourselves, right? Like you, you probably aren't making what you're worth. I'm just going to say, I'm going to go ahead and say that, but you're valuing yourself at a level where your fees reflect the value of what you provide. And you know, what's interesting, what I've found is every time I've increased my prices, I feel like I'm going to barf before I ask, right? And they're like, okay, so tell me about it. <laughs> I have maybe had one or two pause just for a second. And I will always remember, it's a client that we actually shared for a while, our Norwegian guy, or the Australian in Norwegian, uh, in Norway. I remember he paused and I was, I remember thinking, oh shit, I probably asked oh. him, right? And I just kind of sat there and I was like, I'm just going to sit here in this discomfort of having, it was a new rate, right? I had just increased my rates by like 50% or something. And because I didn't do a regular increase, that was the other thing. I learned a lot, right? And he's like, yeah, okay. So I have a meeting with my accountant next week and I just want to ask him where I should pull that money from. We're good to go. So can we just, could we like set up an appointment next week? But my <laughs> thinking, because I, if I hadn't shut my mouth, I would have talked my price back to what it had been before, right? That was my temptation because he paused. His pause was like, okay, where's it coming from? It wasn't, Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to bargain with her and negotiate a price. Like he saw the value and he received the value. I mean, there's no question that that this client, you worked with them too. So you know what they were able to do. And so it was a learning opportunity. Like I sit on my hands if I'm trying not to talk because I can't talk without my hands. (laughs) So like when I, when I, like you people think I'm Italian all the time. Um, (laughs) Are you Italian? No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just very kinesthetic. But you know, I think that's the point. It's like, I remember, um, Cindy Gallup, I follow her on LinkedIn. I want to meet her one day. I'm putting that out to the universe. I will meet Cindy Gallup (laughs) one day. I'll cut out the cursing. I think I already dropped one that might put us on the explicit list. But I, she posted, no, I, I attended like a webinar or something that she said, I want you to ask for so much money that you're right on the edge of bursting out laughing. That's where you should be setting your price. That's where if you're in a salary negotiation, you should be setting the salary that you're asking for. Ask for as much money as you can without bursting out laughing. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's just true. past the vomit point. <laughs> no, right? Because what, you know, sometimes I think too, we take it out of perspective. So I work with a tremendous amount of physicians and not just physicians. I work with transportation companies and I actually had a company, I had a client last week who asked for an RFP. He asked for a meeting with me. I didn't initiate the conversation. And so at one point he, you know, I sent over an estimation of my time to work with him. And he called me for the final, like to go over it. And it was one of those, just like you said, that if it had been five years ago, I probably would have started over explaining myself. But I felt, this was how I felt in the moment when he called, he said, explain to me your fees. What do I get for that? 
Now, five years ago, that would have put me into like, oh yeah, I need to like tell this guy like how good I'm going to work and how hard I'm going to work. Yeah. And I'm like, that gets you my time. And I remember in the moment of saying that to him that I thought if he doesn't hire me, I don't care Mm -hmm. because I have talked him through his marketing. I have talked him through my perspective and I have talked him through what I do. And at this point, if I have to over explain it anymore, we're not a good fit together because I can't, I can't always be owing you what I'm worth every time you pay me. Right. I don't work like that. Yeah. But I do that's not, that's not an even exchange. No. Right. Yeah. And I, and so I paused and he was like, okay, great. Here's my accountant's number uh, or my accountant's email, send it over and we'll get your, your invoice taken care of. I look forward to working with you. Done. I was like, yeah. okay. But for most of my clients, I have clients who are physicians, most of them in the elective space. Some are dental, but, you know, for, for my dental clients, for example, you know, through digital marketing, we bring most of my dental clients on the low end, 50 new patients a month and on the high end, 120. Wow. Now, if you add up how much that patient is worth in a year to them versus what they pay for in digital marketing, it's shocking. And I don't, and then with my like plastic surgeons or elective clients, I mean, one plastic surgery is $10,000. I had a plastic surgeon in Nashville tell me that he didn't think he could afford, he didn't think he wanted to spend $2,500. And I'm like, your mommy makeovers $20,000. Yeah. I'm not like, there are 15 other plastic surgeons who will pay to market. You don't have to. Yeah. So I think it's not explaining away anymore. It's understanding that, my goal is to grow somebody's business several hundred percent beyond what they pay me. That's always my intention. I'm really good at what I do and owning that and not being, not feeling arrogant for saying that, but I've worked really hard to be really good at what I do. I've made a lot of mistakes prior to being really good at what I do. It doesn't mean I don't make them now. It means that when I do I know how to shift and recover. And I told this client, that particular client I was discussing that he asked me, you know, what he got for that. I told him very candidly, he's in a, a, an industry in a field that I have never worked with. And I, I mean, from the first cup of coffee that we had, I said, don't understand your industry, but I do understand marketing. So here's how I think you should progress and proceed and do your thing. When we were meeting, I said to him, this was last week, his executive assistant was sitting there and I said, we could not do what you want us to do the first month in results. We could not do what you want us to do the second month in results. You have to be patient and let us pivot and shift and and failure has to be a little bit okay. And this is what I mean by failure. I used to not set that expectation with clients. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't fail a lot, especially in the medical space or the B to C. He's in a B to B space, which is very different. In the B to C space, I don't fail a lot. I, I have that down. I know how to immediately bring results and I've done it well. He's in a new space. He's going to have to, you know, and I had to make it okay for him to fail, for us to not hit that home run the first 30 days in that he wanted me to promise him I was going to hit. I, I'm not being fair to myself if I tell you. Now, here, now, honestly, I think that we'll do 
pretty good for him in the first 30 days. But I don't know that for sure. I've never worked in his space. You know, five years ago, I would have been a mess. That would have consumed all of my time that I had taken on a client in a space that I was unsure of and whether or not I was going to please him immediately. Mm-hmm. Now I just set the expectation. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at psychology, but I cannot promise you, you know. Yeah. Well, everything's a learning curve. And I, I love, you know, you're making it really clear. You set an intention. Your confidence has improved because you just keep doing the thing. Like the, and you stretch a lot. I mean, you just, you could have said, I don't work with people like you, right? I mean, you could easily have been afraid to do that, to take that client on, but you said yes, because mm-hmm. you already know what you're doing. And now it's just a matter of stretching yourself. And I think you'd, you would be bored to death if you did the same thing all over, you know, all the time. Yeah. It just, oh, it's absolutely. boring. It's boring as hell. And, you know, we need to, that's one of the reasons we start our own businesses is to not get bored. Yeah. <laughs> we like squirrels and shiny objects. We need to stay busy and fresh and stretched and terrified and all of that, Right. And, the, and this is a real key thing that I know you were coaching your client on this, but we all need to hear this. You have to be okay with failure. Failure, mm-hmm. failing at something doesn't make you a failure. You fall down, you get up, you make a fail. Like I always talk about failure being like a trampoline. Like you fall down, the harder you fall, the higher you bounce. Because Absolutely. you'll have, you'll, if you, and you don't have to have huge failures. It could just be like, oh, we had a campaign. It didn't work. So we made some changes, right? Well, that campaign approach that failed, that didn't work. So now we made a little pivot or pivots the word of 2020, isn't it? Maybe we need a new word. But, you know, <laughs> we made a, a course correction and, you know, and now we've just made some slight adjustments and boom, there it goes. And so failure is not an absolute. It's not a judgment. It does define who we are. The failure is the thing that happens that we learn from. And I think that that's really hard for a lot of us. Maybe, you know, you probably can't see it, but my hand's in the air, recovering perfectionists, (laughs) you know, recovering perfectionists. So it is that if you want to get over your fear of failure, go do something that risks a lot for you personally. Well, right. sometimes do something failure teaches you so much. Oh my this gosh, is what yeah. I said to him, and I mean it like so sincerely. You know, his idea of who his who his primary user is and his primary client is. It's funny because I had a different idea of who I thought that was. So when we met, he's like, "No, that's unequivocally that's not who it is. It's not what they care about." And he has done very well in his business. I pull up the back end of his Google Analytics to find the most popular pages, most read content. And guess what was on there? <laughs> the very thoughts and concepts that I assumed were the most popular. It wasn't that he doubted me. He's just been in space for a really long time. If we had t- done the marketing toward what he assumed the user would want to receive, we wouldn't have done very well in our first 30 days. Mm-hmm. To his credit, when I was able to say, look, previously on your Google Analytics, you know, in 2020, these two were the top two most read pages. 12,000 people found this page valuable to them. Wow. So if you don't think that that's a pivotal message, I think you're wrong because here's the message that you're wanting me to do. Here's where, you know, people's attention, how they divided up their attention with that message versus this one. Mm. And he was like, oh, so in failure, we would have, we would have done that original concept. We would have failed. But what we would have learned from it is that what we deeply believed 
to be true wasn't. And because we failed at it, we could then shift to the thing that was true. So when we fail in, in marketing campaigns, I tell every client this, it's not that it's that we're learning that something we may have been completely rooted and grounded in and just absolutely with everything in this, that that was the way and the only way we're actually learning that by holding on to that so tightly, we're preventing ourselves from growing and opening up all this other opportunity. But now that we know that we can shift to the thing that's going to make us the money and give us the opportunity. We can do those things, you know? So that's where I see failure. I, I always see failure as it taught us a way to open the door to something really good. Yeah. I think that's a great, a really great story to share with people too. Like I wrote, I wrote down trust and verify, right? So you can trust your instincts and check in. And, and this is where too, so people who are listening, it doesn't even matter what kind of business you're in or what your, what service or whatever you might be providing. Remember, you don't always have to be in a particular industry. And depending on what you do, you don't even have to know about the industry if you're in service, right? Like, I mean, I tend to attract a particular kind of client, but, you know, I work a lot with a lot of physicians in private practice, but one of my best and favorite clients is an accountant, <laughs> right? I have fitness people. I mean, you name it, nutrition. I, I mean, we've run the gamut, but it's, it's, it's the connection that's the most important thing. And honestly, you not having a preconceived idea of his industry is probably what helped you serve him better. And yeah. so, yeah, that's Outside a huge... Looking in. Yeah. And people do it with me. You know, I asked for that in my coaching when I've worked with you. I mean, you're not in my space, but you mm-hmm. give me outside, you know, insight into how to better my business and, and it works. <laughs> I mean, it does. <laughs> yeah. We need that though. I mean, we absolutely need, but truly intellectual people and the people that I want to work with are the people that he was very pivotal at that point, mm-hmm. you know, to use your word, he was very, <laughs> changed the course. Yes. He was willing to do that once he saw the evidence. And some people, you know, physicians are like that. I have a number of physicians, you know, we always do the personality scale, the disc profile. We always did that in pharmacies and it was actually hugely instrumental into our success. But, you know, I have some doctors that I would have to show them a clinical like six different times. Be like, my God, my dry eye medicine's the best. Right here, like here's my paper. Yeah, um, but they had to see tangible proof mm-hmm. repeatedly. I had other doctors that, if I were, you know, one we both worked with in Reston, who she was relational, right? So if I would go in to be like, oh yeah, best I drop ever. People love it. People love you. People love me. And that's I mean, I was genuinely <laughs> excited about it. She she would dose that to everybody because mm-hmm. she's like sweet everybody's happy because she felt the energy, right? Right. So, you know, to this client's credit, he was much more clinical. Like a lot of my doctors, he needed to see it, but he was willing to move his business. And those were the kind of businesses that personally I have to work with. In the beginning of my career, I would have kept a client who would have been bad for me and I would have been bad for them who maybe wasn't willing to do that and make those changes. But now I say no, like we, it's a partnership. Like I want your business to do well. I genuinely want your business to do well. My job is to help your business do well. That particular client, I did something I've never done before. My consulting agreement did a 30 day consulting agreement. Now my digital plan, we do longer and he did do digital with us, but on me working for him, 
It's like, I'm just going to put you in for January and I'll bill you in February if you want to continue. And he's like, but don't you do long-term contracts? I was like, yes and no. All of my clients, well, I have about an 80% client retention rate. I just don't feel the need to lock them into long-term agreements anymore. Most of them, because I do my job, they don't even think about not having me do my job. I want you to be that guy. I don't want you to feel like you have to pay Laura in February because it's on a piece of paper. I want you to call me and be like, how many hours are you going to work for me in February? Interesting. Very like, interesting. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's a little bit. What? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And what a piece of freedom for you because it releases any like fear or attachment or scarcity or whatever. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to provide this service. They're going to love it and they'll be back or they won't. And I'll, you know, find someone else. But wow, that's your, your, I mean, your journey has been incredible. It's been so, you know, I feel so fortunate to have been by your side during this time and watching you grow and develop. And it's so much fun kind of taking this, looking back and seeing, you know, just how confident you become. Because every time I'm around you, I just see you as you are now. And I kind of forget, right? So it's it's cool that you recognize where the steps have, where you've taken the steps and how it's transformed you and it's transformed yeah. how you do business. And, you know, I just admire and respect you so much. And I'm just so happy that you decided to stick with it because you're changing people's lives. You're changing people's businesses and you're so connected to that outcome for them that they can't not win. It's they the just goal. have to win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's well, the goal. Yes. Well, you definitely achieve it. So we're at the place now where I would love to ask you if you could briefly share some tips with us that you know could help people drive their businesses forward or have the success they want or whatever that means to you. Sure. Just briefly. You know, the first piece of business advice I got opening my own business was by a couple that were a client of mine when I worked in radio and TV and they did marketing with us. Do you hear my dog? Porter. Is that that's Porter? Hi, daughter. Porter. Yeah, that's the my FedEx daughter. Guy at the porch. Oh, you're t- <laughs> thought maybe it was a FedEx <laughs> delivery. <laughs> no, the FedEx guy. Oh my gosh, the FedEx guy's been leaving them little bones and they're so ungrateful. Oh. I'm going to leave them a care package. I am. I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, my doctor jerks. And this is for you. And you're so nice. Yeah. And yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I remember I was really nervous and, and the owner of this business they were young entrepreneurs. And he said, Laura, here's the difference between people who make it and people who don't. 99% of people will quit and 1% will stay with the course and they will push through. You are going to feel like you failed at some point. It's going to come sooner rather than later, but you have to push through the failure because you have to believe that what you thought was viable enough to start a business with was viable enough to start a business with. And you have to just push through. Don't quit. He goes, there are really bad business owners who are really successful because they didn't quit. And that stuck with me. I'm like, you know, that's very true. So that's number one. And number two would be, don't be afraid to shift your business into other opportunities. I started out strictly consulting and that was 100% of my revenue was consulting clients every single month, putting their marketing plan and messages in place and fixing their website Now that's 10% of my business and 90% of my business is that I own and operate a digital agency placing clients and a lot of clients in the online space so they can do their online marketing effectively. And now I have a team of people who support me. 
I'm able just to do a whole lot of things. If you would have told me 10 years ago that I would own a digital agency and would be putting, you know, large pharmaceutical companies online and doing those things, I would have not even known that was a thing I could do, Mm -hmm. you know, so shift, you know, Mm -hmm. when you get into your thing and your business and the thing that you do, yeah, you'll start making money, but I, I've never seen it where another opportunity didn't unfold as you open your business, step into those opportunities. I think that's where you really find success and make, you know, the bulk of your income. Yeah. Very smart. Those are great tips. Thank you. Well, I mean, this conversation has been so rich and there's so many, you know, so many nuggets to pull out. So for our listeners, you may want to listen a couple of times or, you know, make sure that you've been taking notes because there's a lot in here that you can learn from that we can all learn from. And you might listen a couple of times and hear it a little bit differently based on where you're at. So I mean, so much good stuff in here. Your growth has been tremendous. You've been so, you know, generous with your time coming on. I know you're very busy. So I just thank you so much. We want to know. You're so welcome. How can we support you? Where can we find you? So you can find me online at youaspiremarketing.com. And that's with the letter U and then the word aspiremarketing.com. Um, so another little piece of advice, name your business something simple because I'm 10 years in and I still have to spell that for people. So, <laughs> but I will tell you this, and this is what Tracy and I were talking about a little bit before we got on the, where we started recording. But when I named my business, I named it out of a moment of having going through a divorce and sitting in my therapist office and sitting there one day and this woman walking in with a cast on her arm and I'm waiting, I'm just waiting, you know, for my, you know, I'm walking through my divorce as a, and and my single momness. And she walks in a very affluent part of Northern Virginia driving, you know, $80,000 SUV long story short had been assaulted the night before by her spouse. And when he was released from prison the next morning, locked up their bank accounts and um, she had two middle school boys and was just like, Hey, I don't want to have to take them to a shelter. Are there any, you know, visa cards, hotel cards, what can I do? And I then get called back into my therapist office at that time. And I like, she should be crying. Like, I just was like, this is woman in there. She's, He's like, okay, first of all, know that she's going to be taken care of. He's like, but second of all, why are you crying? And I said, I just, I'm just overcome. And he said, I think there's a part of you that recognizes that if you weren't who you are, if you weren't a fighter, if you weren't entrepreneurial, if you weren't successful, if you had given up your career at moments when you could have, because you didn't need to work that you could be her in some way, not maybe the same way, but in some way. And he said, I think there's a part of you that that struck a chord with. And so when I was naming my business and you'll see it on my website, I always, my goal is to always support women and children. And I know that men need support too, but my heart is for that woman in the cast. And so if you need digital marketing, you can support me certainly by coming to us. And we would love to work with anybody who wants an online presence. But as I was telling Tracy, I've got a new program I'm launching and it's just called Side Hustle. And it's on a site called modernmarketingcourse.com. And it's a site that I built to just train and teach medical practices, realtors, dentists, how to do their marketing day in and day out. But um, Side Hustle is a course that I've designed for women who... You know, maybe it's a, they've come out of a divorce. Maybe it's a single mom, whatever the case may be for women who maybe don't 
always have that entrepreneurial intuition where 200 bucks a month in extra income from a side hustle would move mountains or 500 bucks or $2,000. So it's a course that teaches women how to do that. The little ins and outs of just my tips of how did I set goals? How did I build a website? How did I get my first URL? How did I market myself? Who will actually buy this product or service? How do I market it on Instagram? How do I market it to just my general Facebook community? What are some ideas? Um, And in that course, you're going to see me interview some women who have done it, who have their own side hustle. I have a friend in Northern Virginia who owns, actually, she started a dog biscuit and puppy bakery, basically. So she bakes all these cakes for puppies' birthdays. But she started out on necessity. She needed side income. She had gotten diagnosed with cancer in her early 40s. Was uh, She had to leave her job, but still needed to add a little bit of financial support to her family and support her husband. I mean, DC is expensive, you know, and he has a great job, but you miss that second person's income. She loves what she does. She has a great time doing it. There's a woman here in Brantland, Tennessee who makes homemade cinnamon rolls and sells them. There's a lady in my neighborhood who makes soup. There's a lady who refurbishes furniture out of the dumpster. (laughs) It does really, really well. So my point in all of that is that there's opportunity where there's passion and there's opportunity in ways that I think a lot of women forget and don't think about. They feel very limited. They feel like they have to go work for somebody else or they're not going to be able to provide. And then that means time away from their family, their child, or they physically don't have enough in them to make it to a second job to work for a small amount of money. So side hustle is all about just empowering women and men can also take the course too. My personal passion is just, I always think of the persona as that single mom, that woman that had just got out of that relationship but it can be anyone who is looking to earn money and to increase, you know, their wealth, even in small doses or big doses. So I would say if you know anybody in that position, just share the link. I think you're going to provide that for that. And I mean, that's, that's my biggest thing right now is if I can, I can help just by giving sparking ideas. People did that for me. You did that for me. You helped me a ton when I was first getting started, when I was chaotic and couldn't organize my day, working for myself. You helped me go from the creative space to the efficient space. I have a friend who went from bankruptcy to a multimillionaire who's a brilliant businessman who helped me tremendously with my business. People helped me. So I just want to share those thoughts and ideas and hopefully help somebody else. You absolutely will. I mean, this is this is something that's it's not even like your job. I'm doing air quotes here, but it's it's something that every time we support another person, we create this amazing ripple. And so for every, you know, one life we touch, there's an extension of I don't even know how many. I mean, there's this, you know, up to 10,000 people or something like that. So imagine sharing for our listeners, sharing this, just sharing a link with somebody who maybe could use it. You said you're pricing the course pretty reasonably, like $29, $30. Or yeah, something like I'm, I'm going to price it under $30. I think it's, uh, we're pricing it right at $29, like $29.99. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you guys know of anybody that that's, un, like, that's just not doable, that's a, just, you know, private message me, um, you know, email me through my website and, We'll take care of that. I don't want it to be unavailable. What I do want, and the reason why there is a price on it, and you said it earlier best, Tracy, is 
you know, I need somebody to at least if they're going, I want the commitment to be there on their part too, to step into that opportunity and be committed to it, whatever that looks like for them, you know, but I do, I hope that we have like a generation of women who, you know, small business and side hustle changes their lives. That's my goal. I don't want anybody ever worrying about how they're going to pay for their kids' sports fees, next meal, clothes, coats, lunchbox. And there's too much of that in this nation. And we, I can't solve all of that, but I feel like one person at a time, we can empower one person at a time to find ways to increase where they're at then we've done something, you know, we've taken steps in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's an, it's an incredible initiative and you're sharing your gifts from your heart and that that's why it's going to change lives. Yes. They will implement this, you know, the, the steps that, that you share with them and they will build on that. And, but even just the fact that you're willing to do it from your heart because you felt led to do it is why. That's why it's going to grow and that's why it's going to support so many people. And I just am so grateful to you for doing that. It's incredible. So we'll definitely share links, links to get in touch with Laura, but also the links to the side hustle course. I think it's going to be providing a lot more value than we may even imagine right now. I hope so. I hope that's, I, I, I can't wait. I hope to hear stories of how somebody took an idea. I don't care what that idea. I mean, it would never occur to me to start making cinnamon rolls and sell them to my neighborhood, right? <laughs> but, but it did occur to someone here because that's her thing, you know? I mean, and your thing, the best, the best thing I hope to give people in that is that their thing is valuable and it has value and even if it's in the kitchen and they think that I bake for my family every single day, how is this going to earn me more money? You know, my friend Natalie makes cookies, these Natalie's Razzies. She lost her job and she was talking to me over the weekend. And I said, I don't understand why you don't bag up Natalie's Razzies and sell those puppies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like throw them on your Facebook in Orange County. And she was like, you think people would buy that? And I'm like, yeah. People would buy. I don't have time to make my own cookies. I'm, I'm not good in the kitchen. It's not where I, it sucks. I want to be, but I'm not. So, <laughs> yeah, I would do that. I would buy your birthday cake if you that's your thing. There's a guy here. Oh my gosh, I need to look up a site. In fact, I need to interview him for this course, even though he's a dude. But I'm trying to think of what his business is. He was a dude who lost his job and started a bakery. And he makes these cake, he makes cakes for men who have vasectomies. And it'll be like, vasectomy like, cake. don't have like a lemon tree. I, I can't even. It's so, <laughs> we can, like, we can, we can take it from there. My mind went, to, yeah, we're good. <laughs> yes. But it's so like, I'm, but he went from just doing that as a side hustle to I think they're opening their first brick and mortar store this month or next month here, just outside of Nashville. So that's so cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just think there's just, you have something. I feel like everybody has something. Yeah. So how do you develop that? And that's what I hope that I can teach them to do. I love it. You'll definitely spark a lot of, you know, I think creative ideas and, and really support people in that. So that's awesome. Well, this has been wonderful. I'm going to want to check back with you, I think, in a while about how things go with this course. I think there might be a lot to share in terms of, because I think people are going to be so 
excited and so motivated and they'll have success stories. I'm sure that you'll start hearing them and there will be a whole bunch that you don't hear. Right. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind, you know, that you're changing lives, whether you ever hear about it or not. And I'm just, I'm so, this is who you are. It's just who you are. And I, I love you and I appreciate how you show up in this world. And I'm just so glad that we're friends, that we're business associates and that you came here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. If you liked what you heard, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. Please leave us a review and tell your friends about us so more people can hear the valuable information we share in each episode. We look forward to hearing from you and celebrating your success.